Well, we are in the midst of our sermon series called The Call. Um, Jesus' call on us to be his disciples, to be his people. We're, uh, we're hearing in this series what that call entails, what's involved in it. What can we expect after we hear Jesus call us? And in order to get there, we're using our definition of a disciple here at Holy Cross uh, as our framework for each work, each week. We heard last week that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. This week we're going to hear about a disciple being somebody who is formed by Jesus. And next week we will hear uh, that a disciple is someone who's used by Jesus to fulfill his mission in the world. So follow, form, fulfill are three F's. We made it easy for you so you can remember it forever. Um, Follow, form, fulfill. So formed this week. What does it look like to be formed by Jesus? Well, when we talk about formation uh, as formation as of of disciples, excuse me, we we most often mean kind of our mental, emotional, and spiritual formation when we're talking about it in the Christian church, and that's indeed what we're going to spend most of our time on today. But I think it's important to remember a crucial fact uh, before we get into our spiritual formation. And that is the fact that Jesus actually formed all of us physically. That he actually created us. He created you. We heard about this in our We Believe series that we spent um, the the last uh, month or two months, I I guess, on the Nicene Creed. And uh, we heard in there that Jesus was equally involved in our creation with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. That he was a part of making us. And Paul says it in Colossians 1. He says, For uh, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, and visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you have been literally formed by Jesus from the very beginning. As he said to Jeremiah, this is one of a famous passage that uh, Christians love to quote. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. You can hear the echo of what we heard last week. That discipleship is always, always, always in the context of being chosen. Being set apart. God has chosen us. When he calls us to follow him, he's choosing us. So we're being set apart, and discipleship's always in that context, so being formed is in that context, too. I want to build on what we talked about last week uh, with Psalm 25, that God is indeed sovereign, that he's in control. When we talk about formation in the church, I think we often run the risk of forgetting how intimately he knows us. We often forget that he made us in the first place, that he knows everything about you. From the smallest cell in your body to all the many different hairstyles you've had over your life, you know? And if you, I've been watching Stranger Things, you know, the third season is out, so if you haven't seen Stranger Things, that's your homework, go watch Stranger Things. It's a little scary, but it's great, and it takes place in the 80s, so there's amazing hairstyles. And we all had them. If you lived through the 80s, you've all had terrible, terrible hair. But, uh, and Jesus knows about it, so uh, he knows everything about you. And um, it's just to remind us that we're in the hands of the master, okay? 
We are in the hands of the one who designed us in the first place and knows exactly how he made us to work. He knows how he made, you know, uh, Holly to work and Kay to work and Barnwell to work. And you're in his hands. Okay, he is the expert, the expert on you. This is good news. Uh, He's a specialist. And um, when we think about growing in our Christian faith, I think often, I've, I've definitely done this for a big chunk of my life, I thought that it was somehow divorced. My growth as a Christian was somehow divorced from who I actually am, you know, my personality. And um, that somehow uh, being a disciple of Jesus meant that I was going to be changed into somebody wholly different. And I often thought that that new version of myself was probably someone I wouldn't hang out with anyway, you know, like, <laughs> probably be very self-righteous and holy and all that, but... For the longest time, I thought that, um, you know, Jesus' call on my life meant that whatever I wanted, whatever my desires were, were somehow bad. That my interests were, at the very best, secondary, and were probably selfish and sinful, really. And uh, I needed to practice the spiritual disciplines, you know, and I needed to forsake whatever I was passionate about because it was probably competing for my loyalties with God. This, is, this was often how I thought about Christian growth. I was supposed to be more devout, more pious, and uh, someone who didn't waste their time on anything that might smack as secular, you know? Which means I was supposed to listen to K-Love, I needed to listen to only Christian music and not Led Zeppelin, who I love, okay? <laughs> the reason why I play music at all, and the reason why I've wor- led worship is because of Led Zeppelin. That's the Lord working. So anyhow... Um, <clears throat> This is what I thought it meant to be a mature Christian. Uh, Or as I was said back then, I would have said a serious Christian. It meant, actually, when when it boiled down to it, it meant suppression. Suppression of me. Uh, Kind of forceful downplaying of my personality. And I wonder if you've ever thought that. I wonder if you've ever uh, been taught that way about discipleship. Or that that's been your kind of uh, modus operandi. You know, you, you kind of default to it. That's why I wanted to start the way we have with remembering that Jesus is the one who's making the call. Jesus is calling us, and he's the one who forms you, and he's the one who made you in the first place. So he knows you, okay? That's the context when we're talking about our spiritual formation. It's the God who actually brought us into existence. And when we're talking about formation, we're talking about Jesus actually bringing us more to life, bringing us to full life bringing the real us, right, into more and more freedom, making us more and more true to who we really are, not less, okay? It's not a picture of suppression, it's a picture of liberation, being set free to be you. That's true Christian formation, and it's all founded on his word. We're going to stay with the Psalms today. Uh, In Psalm 1, we read Psalm 1 today, and this is the beginning of the longest book in the Bible. And uh, in this psalm, the psalmist contrasts the righteous with the wicked. And he's doing it to lay the foundation for the whole book. And he's showing us the fundamental difference between them, okay? And what is that difference? The answer is dependence on God's word. That's the difference, according to the psalmist. True Christian maturity is full dependence on God and his word. That's what maturity looks like. In verse 2, he refers 
to what he says, he calls it the law of the Lord. And the word there, if you read the Hebrew, uh, which I didn't, I read a commentary that helped me with this, so don't feel like I'm judging you for not knowing Hebrew. Um, I don't either. But anyhow, uh, the word there for law actually means instruction. It's not specifically referring to the Ten Commandments, although they are encompassed by that word. So when he says the law of the Lord, he is referring to God's overall word, his full revelation, the instruction of the Lord. Okay? So the way of the righteous that's celebrated here in Psalm 1, uh, the righteous are the ones that are dependent on God's word. They're dependent on his full revelation, him disclosing himself. And they delight in his instruction, and they meditate on it all the time. That's what the psalmist tells us. And it stands to reason, then, that we would ask, what does God's word tell us? What is the instruction of the Lord? What is it so that we might delight in it and meditate on it? Well, I want you to put on your Sunday school hats, okay? Remember, growing up in Sunday school, there was always one right answer. So put on your Sunday school hat and tell me what is God's word all about? Come on. Somebody said it, whispered, Jesus. That's right. Remember Sunday school? The answer was always Jesus. Anyhow, that was one of those jokes that they say, you know, there was a kid that was in Sunday school one time, and the, the teacher was saying, you know, what is gray and huge, has four big legs and a real long trunk? And the kid says, it sounds like an elephant, but I know the answer is Jesus. Okay, so that's, um, anyhow, the answer is Jesus. God's word is about Jesus, okay? Um, and Jesus says this. He affirms this. He says it multiple times. In John 5, he tells the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And then again, Luke, after Jesus has risen from the dead, Luke tells us the story of when Jesus appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus makes it very clear that the Bible is about him. <clears throat> the ultimate goal of God's word, the instruction of the Lord, is to bring us to his son, to bring us to Jesus Christ, to draw us to him. Because, as Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We become fully alive in Jesus. We become free in him. Our formation is all focused on him. And so the psalmist wants us to hear that the only true foundation, then, for us is God's word. It brings us back to our creator, as we've said. And this is why he uses the metaphor that he does. He talks about a tree. Okay, uh, he says this, uh, there's a tree that's planted by a, a stream, and it's this picture of full and vibrant life. It's not suppression, remember, but liberation. Think of, you know, we've got some great trees down here in the south. Think of the live oaks, our beautiful live oaks, these ancient trees that we have in the low country. They are pictures of endurance and strength. Okay, the image that the psalmist wants us to have when he's talking about this tree is something like our live oak, something deeply rooted that is strong and true. And the stream of water that he describes here is an image uh, that Jesus employs about himself, again, often. 
He tells the woman at the well, if you remember the Samaritan woman at the well, that story in John 4, he says to her, uh, he asks her for a drink. And then he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then again, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst again. The water that I will give them will be become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the imagery that the psalmist is prophesying about here. He's talking about this living water. This promise that the instruction of the Lord is going to lead us to that water. It is that water. It's about Jesus. It's going to give us full life. And it's a life that will endure. It says, he says the tree's leaves do not wither. Remember, uh, have you ever gone to see the famous angel oak? Has anybody gone to see it right over on John's Island? Um, it's estimated to be f- almost 500 years old, that tree. That's an incredible thing. That tree has not died. It has not withered. Uh, it has endured through hundreds of years of hurricanes, you know, of uh, men developing, you know, the world around it. It's endured through all of that. It remains. And it bears fruit, too. This is something that the psalmist says about those who rely on the Lord's instruction, that who depend on Jesus, that they bear fruit in their season. And if you think about the fruit of a tree, the fruit of a tree is always for the benefit of somebody else, right? It's for the benefit of others, and it's for reproduction, for uh, making more of itself. And we'll talk about that next week. That'll be in Fulfill. But uh, the fruit this week I want us to hear is something that is for others. The tree doesn't need the fruit itself. It bears the fruit so that others can eat it and enjoy it, right? So the angel oak has acorns. And the birds and the squirrels get to enjoy the acorns, okay? It feeds. God uses it to feed his world. And for us, it produces one of the greatest commodities down here in the south, and that is shade, okay? That's one of the fruits that it... I don't know if you knew this. I looked this up. It produces... I don't know how they... Anyway, they figured this out. It produces over 17,000 square feet of shade, the angel oak. That's a lot of shade. So, you know, we can just have church under the angel oak. But this is the idea that the psalmist is painting, that when we are planted in the Lord, uh, when he is our stream, that we stand like an oak, and we bear fruit that blesses others. And I want us to uh, remember how natural the fruit is. When a tree is healthy, when it's planted well, uh, and it's deeply rooted, as the psalmist says, it's just its natural job. It just produces fruit. It's what it does. You don't have to go down and yell at the, the oak to make acorns. It does it because that's what it was made to do. And Jesus tells us this too, that a, good, a, a tree with a good root always produces good fruit. He says it in John 7, uh, after he talks about being that stream, that whoever believes in him, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay? He says about, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that when we are planted in him, when we come to him and drink, that out of us will flow rivers of living water. Life will flow out of us. He's going to fill us up to the point where we're overflowing. That's a promise to us, what Jesus is making here. And the psalmist is prophesying, the psalmist is seeing all of this, that this is what the instruction of the Lord does. This is what God does in our lives. 
It's full of life. And the contrast in the psalm is with the person who depends on anything else other than Jesus. The wicked, he says, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, relying on anything else, basing our hope on anything else, leaves us rootless. It leaves us weak. And he says, we'll be blown away like chaff in the wind. And the picture he's referring to here, this idea of the chaff being blown away, uh, is actually agricultural, where the harvesters, the farmers, would go out and harvest their grain. And then they would bring it in, and they would do this often when it was breezy out. They would throw the grain up into the air, and the chaff was lighter than the grain. And the breeze would blow the chaff away, and the grain would fall back into their bowl or whatever they were using. So it was just their natural way of getting rid of the chaff. And then the chaff would be collected, and then it would be taken out and burned. But the grain would be used for uh, their own food, and they would sell it for their own benefit. And uh, this is how the psalmist is talking about the wicked, that they are like the chaff. They're useless, and they're light, and they'll just be blown away because they have no grounding, no foundation. If we depend on anything else other than Jesus, we will be like the chaff, we'll be easily blown by adversity, by trouble. That's really what the psalmist has in view here. Because he says they won't, even, they won't be able to stand up at the judgment. The chaff will be blown away. They won't be able to stand against judgment. They won't be able to stand against God's judgment because they will have put their faith in something other than Jesus. And as Jesus has told us already, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only foundation we have. He is the one that stands for us in the judgment. He's the one that saves us from our sin and takes it for us. And we sing it often, that he is the rock upon which we stand, right? Uh, All other ground is sinking sand. That is the idea. That's the picture the psalmist wants us to have. And I want to make a point here because I was talking about the the storms of life will blow away the chaff. Uh, You won't be able to stand up against it. You know, it won't be like an oak, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of a tree that falls over easily in a storm. Maybe a poplar. I don't know. I'm not an an arborist. But anyhow... uh, The idea is that storms will come and we will actually face adversity. That's a given in this psalm. And it's a given throughout the word of God that this world uh, brings trials and tribulations. And I want us to hear that this is exactly what Jesus uses to form us. This is what makes our roots even stronger. He uses storms. He uses adversity. He uses difficulty. He uses struggles. It's one of the main ways, actually, that he displays his sovereignty. Remember, we were saying this is all in the context of God being sovereign, that he's the one who chooses, he's the one who comes after us. He displays his sovereignty and his power over everything, especially Satan, by using storms, by using the difficulty of life. Because uh, the enemy will use storms and adversity and troubles and tribulation and all of that to try to discourage us, to try to knock us over, to try to blow us away. He intends them for evil. And Jesus turns them around and redeems them for good. 
It's one of the promises in Romans 8 where Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Jesus displays his power by taking things that we often label as bad and that the enemy or other people or our own sin often intends for them to be bad. Jesus takes those things and he redeems them. He uses them for good. They actually become reference points for us of God's faithfulness in our lives, or milestones, you could say. And the result is that we grow in our faith. We grow in our dependence on him. That's Christian maturity, dependence on God, dependence on his instruction. We grow in him. So I want you to just think about your life for a second. When has your faith really mattered? You know, when does it usually uh, become important to pray? I bet you that it's when things have been really hard, more often than not. When someone in your life gets sick, when a job doesn't work out the way you expected, or, you know, when any kind of disaster happens, you know, when literal storms hit, we pray and we cry out to God. Remember David last week, we talked about how so often David's psalms are written in the context of the fact that he was in trouble, that he was being pursued by Saul, that he was in danger, he was actually struggling, or he was convicted of his own sin. When he's face to face with his enemies, external and internal, that's when he cries out to the Lord. It's where the rubber meets the road for us. If Jesus' power, if he doesn't have any power in those moments of your life, if he doesn't have any power where you're really struggling, then he doesn't matter. He is either God or he is not. And if he can't stand and can't help you to stand and carry you through those painful moments, then I tell you, you should go try to find something that will. (laughs) You know, put your faith in something else. Probably thinking, oh my gosh, how can he say that? It's because I know that he will stand, okay? I have full confidence in Jesus. It's actually in those places that he forms us. I was a kid. I've grown up as a Christian. I was five when I became a Christian. And so I, Kate uh, and I joke that we've done all our sinning as Christians. But anyhow, um, it's supposed to be funny. Um, I knew Jesus loved me as a little kid. And uh, I knew that he was for me. But my experience was very limited, just naturally. I was a child. I was aware of my dependence on him, you know, but it was often, you know, like when I was in elementary school, it was like through a spelling test, I would be praying, okay? Uh, Praying through a spelling test. Or, you know, when I felt rejected by a friend or something. Important things when you're little. You know, this is where you really feel uh, your need for him. He would bring me through those difficult times, and they became reference points for me. They became milestones in my faith. All right, as a kid... But then my faith changed in him a lot as I grew up, okay? Because the nature of the challenges I faced have gotten worse. They've become bigger as I've become an adult. Uh, one, of them, one of the big moments was when my dad, when I was a teenager, I was 17, and my dad uh, had kidney disease, and his kidneys began to fail. And we were not sure if he was going to make it. I depended on the Lord in a way that I never had before that moment. 
I needed him and I prayed to him and I read the scriptures because I was desperate. I needed encouragement. And thankfully my dad made it through with a kidney transplant. And, but that became a new reference point for me. My faith had grown. God had grown to me. And it's continued. You know, life hasn't gotten simpler as I've gotten older. It's gotten more and more complicated. He's carried me through terrible jobs. He's carried me through uh, financial stress and uncertainty. He's carried me through sickness or through broken relationships, through uh, marital issues. (gasps) You know, it's true. (laughs) They happen. Yeah. Plug for the steadfast marriage retreat. Anyway, um, you know, marital issues. He's, He's carried us through miscarriages. He's carried us through the death of dear friends. And he's carried us through more. You know, I, I could spend all day telling you. But through each of these storms of life, uh, I've gained a new reference point of God's faithfulness to me. I have a new milestone where I can look back and say, he took me through that. He held me through that. He enabled me to stand through that thing that I didn't think I was going to get through. He was my continual source of water. It's something that C.S. Lewis wrote brilliantly in his Narnia series. If you've read those, we're reading them again with the girls. And we're in, Prince, we, yeah, we're in the midst of Prince Caspian right now. Um, and it was in Prince Caspian, if you've read these, where the children come back to Narnia and Lucy sees Aslan again. And she is amazed because Aslan is bigger. And she says, you're, you're bigger. And, uh, and he says to her, That's because you're older, little one. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's exactly true of our walk of faith. Christian maturity is having a huge God, knowing how big God really is. And we grow in that knowledge because of him carrying us through these storms. We grow by uh, the instruction of the Lord because we see that Jesus is the one who's actually taken us through all of it already. That he's already there. And we see every year we grow that he is bigger. Everything we go through as a Christian where he proves faithful again, our God gets bigger. And the funny thing is it's not just the storms you go through. But it's the storms and difficulties of the people around you too. The lives that you touch, the lives that you're in, your families. I've watched him prove faithful in the lives of my family, and it's blessed me. I found him bigger in their lives. Their walk of faith has encouraged my faith. I've watched him do it in your lives. You know, we've been together for almost three years now, and I've watched the Lord prove faithful in your lives. It has been the fruit that you have borne, and it has blessed me. This is the way God's word works. This is the instruction of the Lord uh, that we meditate on, that we devote ourselves to, because it's the thing that gets us through. It's the thing that helps us to stand in the midst of adversity. This is how Jesus forms us. This is how he grows us. The things that were intended to hurt and to destroy, he takes them and shows his goodness to us through them. So, I wonder what storm you're in right now, because this is true for you right now today. Jesus is doing this right now. You're being encouraged right now from the psalmist. You're hearing some of my stories. 
You know, he's growing us right now. What are you going through today? Where is he at work in you right now? I want you to remember that in the midst of these hardships, Jesus is in control. The God who brought you into existence, that knows everything about you, is going to use this thing to keep growing you. He's going to carry you through it. He's promised to do that. He is your strength, as the psalmist said. He's your source. He's that stream of water that causes you to stand. He will redeem this thing, whatever it is. And you'll see his goodness and grace towards you in a whole new way. And this is true all the way through death. That final enemy that we think we have no power over, the truth is that Christ has full power over that. He promises to even then turn your death into the beginning of eternal life with him. He redeems everything. And he's going to redeem what you're going through right now. I promise. That's what he promises. So you will find him bigger today. Whatever it is, bring it to him and find him bigger. Delight in his instruction and meditate on it. Because it's going to tell you this, that he's bigger, that he knows you, and he loves you, and he's going to carry you through. He will not let you down. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are bigger, that every year we grow, we find you bigger, that all the things that happen in our lives that seem uh, too much for us, that you turn those uh, into milestones of your faithfulness. You turn those into reference points for us where we remember you carried us through. Lord, I pray you would carry us through whatever it is we're facing now. I pray, God, that you would uh, cause us to stand firm as a mighty oak, Lord, that we would be uh, deeply rooted in your streams of living water, Lord, that you would feed us with your word, and you would keep us, uh, keep us safe in you. I ask that you would keep this firmly fixed in our hearts and our minds this week, and that you would carry us out from here to bear fruit for others and to share the stories of how you've been faithful to us. And I pray that that would save people, that they would be saved from their fear and from their pain. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.